guys? Welcome to the Horror Movie Podcast. My name is Jack. Thanks for downloading this episode. This week, we have the Tom Lavero. Tom, welcome to the Horror Movie Podcast. Thank you. I am the Tom Lavero. I don't know if that's good or bad. You are. No, that's that's <laughs> you're the man, the myth, the legend, Tom. Hey, okay. So let me get let me get all these things right. Okay, you're the lead sports columnist for the Washington Times, right? Yep, that's right. Check. I've been there 25 years. 25 years. You've authored 11 books, correct? Yes, I have. Okay. And uh, everything from the Redskins to Negro League Baseball. I know, exactly. And then, uh, and like we talked about, um, an ECW book, which I thought was... Yes, I did. Yeah. Ex- extreme, extreme Championship Wrestling book. That was like writing a book about a motorcycle gang. <laughs> Anytime and... Uh, we're a, and we are a family-friendly podcast, so when I say this, I'm only saying a wrestler's name. Anytime you have to put in writing someone named Balls Mahoney, you know you are, you know you are uh, writing, you know, writing about something great. So Paul, ha- Paul Heyman, what a, what a character. So, um, and then uh, you're right now. You you're a contributor now on ESPN 980. Is that correct? You well, actually, you've had a show on there, switched- right? I've just switched recently. Uh, now I'm on 106.7, the fan. It's the FM sports talk station in Washington, D.C. That's awesome. That's awesome. And I'm a contributor and doing a Saturday morning show uh, on there as well. Cool. What, what's the topic on that show? Uh, all sports. Generally all sports. Redskins, you know, NBA, uh, Washington Nationals. Yeah. Uh, maybe a little bit Georgie Admiral Steel this week. Man, what a big that, that's a big passing. And Ivan Koloff passed away as well. I don't know if you oh, heard yeah. that or not. Yeah, that's Rough crazy. Week. Well, yeah. and and I, I again, I always we end. I sometimes end up talking about pro wrestling. I love pro wrestling, and I guess ideal for this episode because it is Paradise Alley that we would talk yes. about. Wrestling. Hey, this this movie is chock full of many great uh, former wrestlers. Yeah, in particular, one of the stars of it is uh, Terry Funk Jr. Absolutely. I mean, and he plays, I mean, he's the, I mean, he's one of the main characters. He's the main antagonist, basically, other than the really weird mob boss guy that I'm not understanding his, uh, anyway. But um, Ted DiBiase is in this briefly. Ray Stevens is in it. Uh, Dory Funk Jr., Dick Mur- Dirty Dick Murdoch, and the list goes on of just the, it's crazy. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I'll tell you, here's what I'd like to do. Tell us about, now your podcast is Cigars and Curveballs, correct? That's right. Tell the audience about this podcast. I love it. It's a great podcast. Well, thanks. I mean, what I do is I've built up over the years a pretty good Rolodex of uh, people I've come in contact with. And uh, I've built up a certain level of trust and credibility that they'll still talk to me even after uh, – I deal with them. So, uh, you know, we really concentrate on the conversations and I call them conversations, not interviews, because I try to make them as relaxed as possible that we do every week. And we've done everyone from my first one was Bobby Bonilla, uh, who uh, used to play for the Mets and the Pirates, who ironically has a bad reputation as as a guy to deal with. But when I covered him when he was with the Orioles He's the best guy I've ever covered. That's awesome. The best guy I ever dealt with. So he's a different guy than what people think. 
he was my first one. From there, I've gone on for Cal Ripken Jr., wow. uh, George Foreman, mm-hmm. uh, actor Joe Montana, yeah. uh, um, uh, Sugar, Sugar Ray Leonard, manager Dusty Baker, wow. and recently Sugar Ray Leonard. Yeah, man, I, I, that that's just all. And that I, I'm sure in your line of work, building relationships with people where they trust you, where you're not just gonna. I mean, you know how journalism right now the rap is such a it's so salacious. Am I out of yes. turn to say that, right? Like the the, per- oh, the perception, the perception is that that is it. I'm not even in that field. I guess maybe technically, maybe I don't know if I this what this is considered. But all I'm saying is like like that. You have to build relationships, and that's that's in any line of work, I guess. You have to build relationships with, with people because that's all that's gonna. I mean, that's what's gonna keep people coming back and build build trust and everything else. So yeah, that's the key is that people will trust you. Uh, and trust does not mean compromising your values. Right. I mean, you know, you can be critical uh, of people and uh, still maintain a certain level of trust with them. So, uh, you know, trust does not mean sellout. Uh, it just means, you know, be principled in what you do. Yes, sir. Well, very good. I, um, anything you have going on right now you want to kind of promote or talk about? Well, uh, what's interesting is, uh, you know, I've been, I, I watch, I'm kind of locked in a time warp. I mean, my, my, I, I live in the seventies and the eighties. I mean, when I, when I watch TV at night, I mean, my networks are the heroes and icons network, the antenna TV network, the me TV network. I mean, my, my nighttime viewing consists of Hill street blues, Rockford files, NYPD blue, and lately on the Heroes and Icons Network, they've been rerunning uh, Wise Guy. Oh, yeah. Which yeah. was a great 80s, uh, you know, drama with Ken Wall and Jonathan Banks. Jonathan Banks, who went on to play Mike, mm-hmm. the uh, right-hand man of Gus in uh, Breaking Bad and now in Better Call Saul. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right and on. I love that character, I'll announce, by the way. Yeah. I'll announce it for the first time on your podcast. Uh-huh. Jonathan Banks, who grew up in Washington, D.C., will be a guest on the March 1st podcast of Cigars and Curveballs. That's awesome. Cool. That's yeah. so cool. Well, I'll make so, sure. I'll make sure. That's I'll, what I'm into. I, I, is, I'm going to go ahead. After this is over, I'll go ahead and tweet that out. Is that okay? If I, can I, no, any, just, hold off, just hold off on it okay, for now. Okay, sorry. I didn't mean to. Right. I'm sharing that with you okay. and your thousands of podcast listeners. Millions and millions of people sitting around the old uh, transistor radio. So okay, <laughs> um, that's awesome. Okay, I won't, I won't, I won't, uh, I won't spoil okay. the surprise. I promise. I pinky promise. So by the time this comes, by the time this comes out, that will probably have already dropped. Probably we'll see. I have to see how that works. But anyway, that's okay. awesome, man. That's so cool. Very cool. Well, thanks. Um, so, are you a big? You're a big Redskins fan. You know what? Uh, I'm not a. I'm not a sports fan. I grew up a sports fan, but when I got into the business of sports writing, I really kind of lost that. Uh, you know, so I don't root for the Redskins. I don't root for the home teams, and it drives people here nuts. <laughs> well, you got to you know? be a homer, because, right? I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah, because they want you to be like the homer, like them, mm-hmm. but. Uh, but I grew up a rabid sports fan. I mean, mm-hmm. I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, wow, a big okay. Jets fan, Knicks fan, Mets fan. Yeah. There was nothing more important to me than the New York Mets when I was growing like up. But you kind of lose that in the business when you're dealing with it 
every day. So I always tell people, who do I root for? I root for me. There Whatever works best for me. <laughs> my brother, my, we, I'm in Missouri, and we're, I'm from Missouri, and my brother is a huge Mets fan and always has been. 86 Mets, but it was bef even before that, he's not a bandwagon jumper. Trust me, he was on through some rough times there. But uh, anyway, so I grew up. I grew up. I saw the New York Mets play in the Polo Grounds in 1962. Oh, yeah, I'm older than everybody. It's <laughs> awesome. What, what? What? Was that stadium? I mean, was it hard to watch baseball there because of? I mean, it's a multi-use park, so I mean. It was a huge stadium. I yeah. mean, the center field was like 455 feet away. It was, and it was right across the river from Yankee Stadium. Okay. I don't remember a lot about it. I just remember going there with my dad, walking uh -huh. over a, a hill from the subway stop to get there, and just remembering how big it was. It's massive. But there, but when you're eight years old, all Every, the stadiums are big. Everything is, yeah, everything is huge. Yeah. So, um, you know what's uh, what's not huge is the um, acting range sometimes of Sylvester Stallone. I don't know if you knew this or not. Um, but he has a marketable, um, he's a marketable icon, okay? And uh, he knows what he does well. And he does this well. Uh, this week's movie is Paradise Alley. R I, once again, I don't, does Sylvester Stallone do anything he hasn't just written himself or sang all the songs in the soundtrack? Because he sings... I think a couple songs in this soundtrack, especially the first one, the Too Close to Paradise uh, song. That, that was my favorite, by the way. Directed yeah, by... I, I, yeah. I got to tell you, and this will just tell you how warped I am. <laughs> I love Stallone's rendition of the uh, intro song. Oh, it was beautiful. I like it. Uh, I mean, I went out and bought the soundtrack. And actually, the soundtrack... Tom Waits is in the movie. Yeah, yeah. Tom he Waits is, has yes. cut a couple of songs, and they're excellent songs. Well, and Bill Conti, who does the music on this, who did the soundtrack, he put together yes. a soundtrack for all the Rocky movies, and it has done a ton of work. So that's yes, not – my, my singing of uh, Too Close to Paradise was not an indictment on Bill Conti, but more on the <laughs> indictment of – Sylvester, hey, Sylvester, he he's that guy that I think – I'm going to I'm going to cook the food. I'm going to also bring it out to you. I will also be the person you pay the bill to. I'll go and put you know, I mean that's just his, I that must just be his nature, right? Or he's at Well, I mean, when your biggest ticket, where the ticket that got you your fame was the story that you wrote and insisted on controlling even though he didn't direct the first Rocky. Mm -hmm. Uh I think it was Sean Avidson did. Um you know, uh, I think if that works for you, you're going to try to stick to that. And while critically it may not have worked for him, at the box office it seems to have for the most part, although Paradise Alley was hardly a hit. <laughs> well, <laughs> most, people, most people have never heard of it. I feel like, though, um, for Terry Funk and those wrestlers that, like, Terry Funk is a SAG, a SAG he's a card-carrying SAG member, and he gets that in. He's, I've heard him talk on different interviews about how he, he, his insurance is through SAG, and so this is right up, I mean, he's in a movie and gets the, you know, it's like, this is where, where it's at. He's smart, so. Yeah. All right, man. Time for some deets. Paradise Alley, directed by Sylvester Stallone. And produced by Edward Pressman. Written by guess who, Tom? 
Sylvester yeah. Stallone. <laughs> Starring Sylvester Stallone, Kevin Conway, and Archer, who the female characters in this movie are very weak. Would you agree? Like, yeah, they kind are. of not even there. I mean, there. Oh, it's there's some there are some women in this movie. Here you go. Yes. Welcome to the yeah. movie. And Archer, you know, has a little bit of uh, me to her role, but not much. And they play her out early on. You think she's going to be a main character, and then they don't even really include her much. So, um, Joe Spinelli, Armand Asante, Lee Carnelito, and go ahead and Terry Funk. You know, I think. Uh, this was Armand Asante's first kind of significant role. I think this was basically his introduction. And, uh, I mean, nobody, nobody, I don't care, even De Niro, mm-hmm. nobody plays a mob boss this guy's perfect. better than Armand Asante. He's really good, really solid. I mean, he played, he played, HBO did, a, a, uh, I think, a John Gotti miniseries uh-huh. years ago. Yes. He played Gotti. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's so many movies. He was a gang gang boss in American Gangster with uh, Denzel Washington. He's just been a gang boss so many times because he's so good at it. Perfect for the role. Um, like I said, Terry Funk, Frank McRae. Um, Another great character actor. Yes, very Frank much so. Frank McRae's been in a lot of great stuff. He was in Used Cars. He was in... Uh, oh, uh, I forget what else. He's a great character actor. Yep. Really good. Big Glory was his name in there. And his, yes. his line, um, I'll tell you, I always take this to heart. I say this a lot um, when I'm having a bad day. Uh, he says, right, the last thing you see of him, he he says, you know, none of this will matter in 100 years. That's and right. It's kind of, Tom, it's and pretty true. He like, says <laughs> it on a garbage dump just as soon as he's about to jump into the river. And then he, where did he go? He jumped in the river. Like, what? where are you going, man? Like Kramer in the East River, man. Like he's hopping in there, <laughs> swimming around. Uh, Joyce, yeah. go ahead. Well, I mean, do you want me to tell you a little bit about what the movie's about? Oh, wait, wait, let me get through this, and then we're going to go 30-second okay. synopsis. Uh, and then Tom Waits, like you said, Bill Conti did the music. Uh, he's probably the talent of the whole group. Release date, September 22nd, 1978. Uh, and then box office was $7 million. Does not give a budget. I couldn't find a budget on this movie. All right, Tom. It is time for 30-second synopsis. You have 30 seconds, my friend, to tell us all about Paradise Alley. I almost said Paradise Lost. <laughs> well, it was Paradise Lost in a way because it got lost at the box office. You know that's it. for sure. You know it. Uh, it's about three brothers, the Carboni brothers, who grew up in Hell's Chicken, Hell's Kitchen. Hell's Chicken. Which would be a Hell's great Kitchen. restaurant in Hell's Kitchen. Hell's Chicken. <laughs> In New York in post-World War II, all trying to dig their way out of poverty through different ways. And they all managed to do it ultimately in the wrestling ring with a local wrestling uh, promotion uh, going up against the local gangster. Yes. And the local cool. gang boss to do it. Right. Vince McMahon. Yes. Not, oh, no, never mind. It wasn't Vince McMahon. Sorry. <laughs> Actually, Vince McMahon's father was... Uh, uh, and grandfather were both uh, bo- was was both wrestling promoters. Jess McMahon was a big boxing promoter back in the early nineteen uh, twenties. Uh, did he did he promote in the in the uh, in Madison Square Garden or where was the? Yeah, yeah. Jess McMahon was a big promoter of Madison Square Garden during the Roaring Twenties. That's it, Vince's grandfather. Yeah, yeah, and that that's definitely in the blood to promote things and to uh, 
it's a family affair for them too. And it still is now. I mean, they've got, you know, what now? Four, basically four generations now of promoters in that family. So, all right, man, let's do it real quick. Let's do five point plot. Plot point number one. And I like to title these. Here's my title. Hey, yo, let's wrestle. Um, so the opening song, like I said, the opening song, Paradise, uh, too I keep saying Paradise Lost, Too Close to Paradise. Oh, that made the movie for me, really. <laughs> Sylvester Stallone crooning away at that thing. So good. And Frank Stallone uh, is in the movie as well as like a lounge singer. Yes, and has, has a little song. Did you, I mean, if you were listening to the song, would you think that Sylvester Stallone was singing it, do you think? I guess the issue becomes if you knew it was, he, he's on key. Like, he is on key. Yes, he is. It's just not a tone. That's not, it's like if I sing, I can probably stay close to key, but I have a crappy, man, crappy singing voice. But it's Sylvester Stallone, so... what happens is you're once you find out who it is your expectations are so low yes that when he (laughs) when he's not absolutely unlistenable you're you're willing to give him the benefit of doubt and say hey this ain't bad you know because you expect such bad he's such horrible I mean, you expect uh, it to be so bad. bad. It's in a movie. Anyway, uh, so this is, uh, so Stallone is Cosmo, uh, and he, he's one of three Carboni brothers that live in Hell's Kitchen. Um, and they're from there. This is where they're from. Uh, there's Cosmo, Victor, and uh, what's the other one? Lenny. 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 I almost said uh, Beepo, or uh, what's the other one? What, what <laughs> or Gummo. Or Gummo. Zippo. 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 <laughs> um, and so... Really, they all have their own traits. Uh, Cosmo is kind of the, he's the jack of all trades of the group. At one point, he's, he's a hustler. Yeah. At one point, he's the Macy's Santa. I mean, yeah. he does a little bit of everything. Uh, Victor, real, real straight laced. Uh, he's not as smart and as swarmy as the other two. Uh, he hauls ice for a living, but he's a large individual who's played by, and I forgot his name, Lee Canalita. Professional boxer as well. Yes, who did not have a big boxing career, never did much besides yeah. this. And you're right, he makes a living carrying blocks of ice up up the steps back in the days when people had ice boxes. And this was this was near and dear to me because this was my grandfather's business in How Brooklyn, about that? New York. And my father grew up doing the same thing, carrying chunks of ice up upstairs for people for their ice box. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. So you uh, did you ever get to go out with them and watch them work and do that? No, that's I mean my grandfather had passed away after before I was born. That was so, probably uh, that, that was probably before take your kid to work day too. That probably wasn't a thing. Yes, it was. Hey, yeah, nobody was thinking. Here's my son here. Send him home or you're fired. <laughs> Gosh, what are you? Anyway, so um, basically there's a big arm wrestling match, right? Uh, this wrestling is kind of bizarro, Rocky. This is kind of a bizarro world, Rocky. Um, but it's like the shoot fighting, it's pro wrestling, but it's obviously real, but it's pro wrestling and they call it wrestling. Very, yeah. It's, it's a different, Yeah, it is. well, this is the dates when, I mean, if where wrestling matches, they used to write about wrestling matches on the sports pages. Mm. I mean, they sort of, you know, took it seriously. I mean, as, as, as a sport back then, even though it wasn't right. at the time, but you're right in the movie, they, they don't present it as, no. as, as a scripted thing. 
I mean, basically, you know, as far as the movies goes, these matches are real. This is like early MMA, like Tank Abbott MMA, um, and uh, Tough Man, Tough like Man, Tough, tough man. man. There you Thanks. go. Butterbean, yeah. Butterbean would do great in this. Um, yes, he would. He would do great in this. So the brothers, and we, we said we said that we had the brothers, um, and basically there's this arm wrestling match, and um, this convinces. And- and Lee Canalito, who wins the wrestling match, uh, the arm wrestling match, yes. when he's convinced by Lenny to do it, uh, the other brother, and we'll get to him in a minute, uh-huh. it's for a monkey. It's for a pet monkey. It is for a, a pet monkey. A organ grinder's monkey. <laughs> <laughs> so really, you have all the makings of a great movie, folks. You have all the makings of a great movie. You have uh, Terry Funk, Sylvester Sloan, and a monkey as well. Um, and t- Terry, Terry Funk plays Frankie the Thumper. Yeah. Great name. It's, and all he does is scream and yell throughout the movie. It's a lot like what Terry, you know? Terry Funk yeah. does. And he's a large man. Like, when you put him next to normal humans, he's a really big dude. Yes. He played college, yes, he foo- he played college football at uh, West Texas, what was then West Texas State, and it's changed. Or West Texas State at Canyon is where he played. Because he played uh, college football with Stan Hansen and a bunch of those other guys that played down there as well. Um, but okay. Plot point number two. Okay, so he he beats he beats uh, Frankie the Thumper in this arm wrestling match, which then sets up an angry an, an angry rivalry the rest of the way. So plot point number two, over the top. So after the um, arm wrestling match, this is what convinces Cosmo that Victor needs to professional wrestle. This can get us all the whole Carboni family out of Hell's Kitchen. Victor, what's Victor want with his life? He wants one thing. And it's a houseboat. To, to live on a houseboat yes. in, in New Jersey. Yes, with his with his uh, Asian girlfriend. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. I mean, what a great life. That would be yeah. that'd be ideal for Victor. Um, Lenny is the other Carboni brother, and he is a war veteran. He's got a little bit of a limp. Um, he doesn't like the idea. Initially, he does not like the idea of uh, Victor wrestling. He doesn't want him to get hurt. And really, at this point, then, the wrestling starts, but we're kind of given this montage of wrestling matches where we have... Yes, as he builds up his record. Yes, it's like in Rocky where you see uh, Spider... He fights Spider Rico, and he fights just some other randomo people. In this, you get uh, Dick Murdoch and Dory Funk Jr. and Ted DiBiase, which, again, Ted DiBiase in this is pretty awesome. So, um, basically... There's a lot, and then there's also this part. There's a love interest, and basically you just have Stallone doing his best Yo Adrian uh, moves on her. Yes, you know Lenny, uh, the Armand Desanti uh, character, uh, he, he makes a living embalming dead bodies. If I'm, if I mean, I You're think right. that's what he does. You're right. Yeah. You know, and they and they lived uh, in like a room near there where he would embalm the dead bodies. And I guess Lenny, you know, at, at the way they set it up, the way Stallone sets it up, Lenny was like the toughest guy in the neighborhood uh, before he went off to fight the war. This mm. was a war injury. Mm-hmm. Uh, the guy who everyone thought was going to be a big success. And he comes back, you know, bitter, bro- broken up. And uh, now he's just embalming stiffs. <laughs> and he's considered a big failure. 
And, so he, uh, so he, doesn't he want, was supposed to be the guy in the neighborhood at one point. And he doesn't want his brother, Victor, to fall into, uh, get hurt and be, da- you know, fall into danger that way, I guess, either. So. Yeah, and he doesn't want, he, he sees Cosmo for what he is, a con artist. Yep. He's his brother, yep. but you know, as far as Cosmo, Salone is concerned, he's a huckster. He's a con artist, yeah. at least at this point. Until, until the turn, the big turn. Yes. Okay, so plot point number three, the hardcore legend Terry Funk. So we have he plays Frankie the Thumper. What's the, what's his handler's name? What's his what's that guy's name? Do you off the top of your head? What's his the mob actor? name? Is it Stitches? Is that Stitches? Stitch Mahone. That's him, right? Stitch Mahone, uh, who was the gangster manager of Frankie the Thumper. Okay. Again, played by a great character actor. Yeah, who's been in a ton uh, of stuff. Kevin Conway. Yes. I mean, he he was in Mystic River. He's been in a lot of different stuff. The movie is full of terrific actors. Right. I mean, Armand Asante went on to have a great career. Uh, Frank McRae, like I said, you go back and look at Frank McRae's. He was in 48 Hours, Frank McRae. Wow. All of a sudden, it just popped into my head. That's the movie, uh, yeah. And Kevin Conway was in a lot of stuff. So I think part of it was the story just may have been ludicrous, <laughs> but the characters were fun to watch, I think. Yeah, they're there. Yeah. Um, so this part of the movie, too, uh, my, one of my favorite parts of the movie is when uh, Stallone stumbles drunk. He's walking down the street. He's He's been drinking. He's dressed as Macy's Santa. Because on the back of his Santa outfit, it says Macy's on the back of it, which yeah. is really funny. Uh, runs into Old Glory, who's one of the re- wrestlers that Victor beat early in the movie. They steal. Is it a milk truck or a beer truck? What or am, a beer truck. Probably a beer truck. I think it's a beer truck. They drive it around. They tear the crud out of the whole neighborhood. I mean, they just destroy the neighborhood, and they drive it through Stitch's front window. They're singing. Yes, like, in Stitch's bar. Yeah. Yeah. They're they're <laughs> they're singing some Christmas song. Did you hear this? Before this happens, all the the uh, uh, Frankie the Thumper and Stitches, and then the the, the other two cronies, his, his you know his his dame, if you will, quote unquote, and then yeah. um, one other one other guy, one other Toady character, and they're sing they're singing some stupid Christmas song thing, and here comes uh, here comes uh, Cosmo through the uh, front front of uh, front window of the uh, bar, which I thought was really funny. So that just adds to the tension between the two people. Um, next up, plot point number four, Family Feud. But I entitled this one, Family Feud. Uh, big rift in the family at this point. Lenny takes over as promoter. The 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 change of character here, I didn't really... It was a slow process. Cosmo has a change of heart. And then Lenny takes over as the victor whisperer to get him to fight. Um, he, well, Lenny... Lenny undergoes sort of a process of rediscovering himself uh, and being the tough guy, being the, 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 the smart, tough guy, but he loses his heart in the process. He, he winds up, you know, taking Cosmos's idea of using Victor the wrestler as a big money-making thing, and Lenny just takes it much farther uh, in a ruthless sort of way. That puts Victor at risk with all the wrestling that he's doing and the damage he's doing. But they're making a lot of money. And uh, I think Lenny sort of gets caught up in the power of the moment. 
and uh, it's sort of like they change roles. Lenny becomes the hustler, Mm -hmm. and Cosmo becomes the guy who cares more about his brother. But it didn't start out that way. In Uh, other words, the turn. Yes, the big turn. The turn right there. And in fact, Lenny uh, goes to Stitches and says, and and he brokers this deal, uh, and it's for $9,000, which in in the 1940s, Yes. $9,000 is a lot of money. Yes. But when you say that... But actually, the the scene that does it is when they're negotiating the deal, it's Victor who turns to Lenny and says, how much money do we have? And Lenny tells him. And then Victor says, $9,000. And Lenny says, that's all we got. He said, if you lose, we'll be garbage again. And the best line in the movie... Uh is when uh, Victor turns to Lenny and says, I was never garbage. <laughs> <laughs> Great tagline. Even though yes. old, even though old Glory earlier in the movie did jump into garbage, as he said, yes. his, his, yes, his special his, line. On his way to his demise. Appa- apparently, that was a really weird ending. Okay, so $9,000, the fight is on. Uh, plot point number five, wrestling in the rain. it's like an r kelly video it's like a seal video it's in the rain we're in the rain it's coming down and uh wrestling in the rain i mean it added effect the the paradise alley was the name of the place where they did the wrestling that was the hall where they had the events and i'm assuming that it that the roof leaked is that what do you think did they really did they really elaborate on it no, they never did. It's not like they had a skylight, maybe, or yeah. something. Or, I just think the roof leaked. Or it's like Jerry's World, where they can open and close the roof, or, <laughs> you know. Um, Paradise Alley was really nice, apparently, if they were able to do that, but probably not in the 40s, have a retractable roof on their uh, establishment. Um, they fight. It's very brutal. 22 rounds, Tom. 22 That's rounds. That's when men were men. <laughs> I've never... I've never, I best of three falls, one fall. I mean, 22 <laughs> rounds. It, weird. I, I, maybe I'm missing it. And maybe the, historically wrestling, maybe that's a thing. Maybe if we had Danny Hodge here, he would tell us that. Danny Hodge, yeah. look at that. Look yeah. at that get by you. He's the, hey. Very maybe, impressive. Maybe the greatest ever. Danny Hodge possibly. Hey, Olympic athlete, gold gloves boxer. Danny Hodge, man. And yeah. pro wrestling icon. He's the man. Crushes yeah. crushes apples with his bare hands and and, and and he's like eighty and he can still there's a video on YouTube of him crushing an apple with his with his huge wow. mitts yeah anyway I'll have to check that out check out let's Danny remember Hodge. that Victor the wrestler his nickname is Kid Salami oh I and yeah we did yeah as, as part of the bit they have him wear meat around <laughs> his neck salamis around his neck when he comes into the ring. Oh, maybe Vince Kid McMahon. Salami. Maybe Vince McMahon did come up with this character because he would have some, you know, the Red Rooster or some of his other characters that he came up with that uh, were more cartoon than they were. Kid Salami. Let me share a Vince McMahon thing with Tell you me. for a second. Please do. Uh, I wrote a column about a week ago in the Washington Times off of the uh, ESPN Thirty for Thirty documentary oh, about yeah. the XFL, which was awesome. Which is a great documentary and. I think sort of illustrates the point of my column was people underestimate the power of influence on Vince, of Vince McMahon 
not just in wrestling, but all of American culture. The impact that he has had on American culture is just it's just remarkable. Mm-hmm. And people to, all the way to the White House now, the impact <laughs> but, he's had. Have you seen that picture? Have you seen I that mean, picture of, the, of yeah, the whole family? Yeah, I have. Yeah. It's remarkable. And and I, I whatever you think of Vince McMahon, mm-hmm. he had a sense of of where this culture was going and he tapped into it before anybody right i mean from reality tv to you watch the nightly news programs the the, the debates that go on on cnn mm-hmm. fox msnbc they're all wrestling interviews the big promos the wrestling yes. promo. <laughs> they're all based on the conflict oh. that you had in wrestling interviews so i wrote this column off of the uh, xfl documentary uh, pointing out that people have been underestimating Vince P- McMahon's power and influence for decades. Mm-hmm. And Stephanie McMahon, not only I posted it on my social media account, my Twitter account, uh, Stephanie McMahon not only retweets it, but then s- starts following me. Yes. yes. <laughs> I know. I knew yes. you would love that. Yes. That's so awesome. Tom. And she follows like 400 people and she follows me. I was, I was. That's it's like crazy, winning some kind dude. of an award. Look at you, man. That's great. And, and hey, uh, Vince McMahon never sleeps. I've heard him say. I've heard him say this in interviews before. That sleep is the greatest enemy we all have because it's a total waste of time. He he literally <laughs> sleeps like an hour a night. And it's like it's mine. It's, he may be a vampire. There's a shot. I never. He may, he never, may be supernatural. I've never One of the things about the XFL documentary that really hit home for me was it's him and Dick Ebersol who they started the XFL together. Dick Ebersol is arguably one of the most powerful guys in the history of television. Mm-hmm. Helped start Saturday Night Live, uh, big on making the Olympics the power that it is now. Has been a producer of eight of the top ten most watched TV shows in the history of television. Wow. And, you know, started Sunday Night Football with the uh, NFL he said that Vince McMahon is his greatest partner he's ever had. And they're not really, Roger Goodell, not the Olympics, Vince McMahon. And they're really friendly. I know on that it seemed on that um on that 30 for 30 that they seemed super 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 friendly. Yes. So. I mean, that was that was stunning to me. And I had I hit home. I um I I think that's stinking awesome, man. Where was I? <laughs> The wrestling, okay, hold on. They finished the wrestling in the rain. Big freeze frame at the end. I, when, when, whenever Victor wins the match at the end, big freeze frame, and it's like Rocky at the end. Yes. Yeah, it yeah. really is. It really is like Rocky. All the brothers together celebrating their victory in the ring. And, and the, little, the little, I don't even know why you had to add it, was <laughs> uh, was when I think it was, it was, uh, it was Cosmo or Lenny's asked Victor, uh, what took him so long to win the match or something like that? And Victor says, what was it? It's birthday, right? Yeah. Uh, why, did, birthday why, why did you the... take 22 rounds to win the match? Yes. He says, I was born on the 22nd. That's it. That's it. <laughs> really, Victor? Really? Really? <laughs> How stupid That is was that? really dumb. So freeze frame. But hey, it was good enough to freeze frame it. And that was it, man. So, hey, let's do this real quick. What are some good? We're going to talk about goods and bads. What's some good parts of the movie? Goods. Well, again, the Tom Waits songs are good. They're, I mean, Tom Waits uh, always plays like this offbeat character in movies. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and uh, I always like him when he's in a movie. I always love his music. So anytime Tom Waits is singing, it, it is good. Uh, I love the uh, I love the Frank McRae and the Cosmo uh, night of debauchery on the streets of Hell's Kitchen. They took out that streetlight like nobody's business with that truck. Yeah. I mean, that that's, again, Frank McRae, great character actor. I love the interplay between him and, and, and Cosmo uh, in, in particular. Uh, the uh, Watching Victor carry up the block of ice where he sort of makes the mo- – he sort of comes to the – this come to Jesus moment that I'm never going to have a houseboat carrying blocks of ice. He carries a big chunk of ice up a big flight of stairs, gets up there, and the woman, the customer says, "Oh, I don't need it. I don't. I mean, you know, apparently maybe they've got a refrigerator at right, that point. Right. They aren't using an ice box. Yeah, and the in times. a fit of frustration, he lets the the ice drop down the flight of stairs, and they have this great, you know, video of the ice chunks breaking it apart explodes yes it was epic it I was like, like an epic explosion yeah and that's when victor decides okay i'm never getting my houseboat carrying ice this is the wrestling <laughs> is it's going to be the only way it's going to happen for me gosh all right so real quick what have you been into lately what's one thing book tv show magazine movie anything not any, anything at all Okay, well, let's do a book. For one thing, I'm reading the book by uh, a legendary sports columnist named Jerry Eisenberg. Mm-hmm. Jerry Eisenberg is a sports columnist for the Newark Star-Ledger. He's one of only two sports writers to have actually covered every Super Bowl ever since it started. He's been to every one. There's two sports writers. That's awesome. And Jerry has a book out about the golden age of heavyweight boxing, oh, wow. like in the 60s and the 70s, mm-hmm. from Muhammad Ali to Mike Tyson. Mm-hmm where the heavyweight boxing was what drove boxing. Right. It's called Once They Were Giants. Once There Were Giants. Mm-hmm. And I'm in the middle of reading that. And again, you know, if, if you and I, if you grew up when boxing meant a lot, and in particular heavyweight boxing, mm-hmm. you read about Muhammad Ali, George Foreman, Joe Frazier, mm-hmm. uh, and Jerry actually is going to, to be a guest on my next podcast awesome. uh, to talk about it, where he tells a story about, among other things, about the time Mike Tyson cried on his shoulder <laughs> when uh, in the middle of an interview. So that's I'm into that book now, and mm-hmm. you know I touched on this before with Jonathan Banks. I'm really into watching the reruns of Wise Guy on uh, on Heroes yeah. and Icons. You're, are you, you're basically binge watching Wise Guy. Yeah, I mean, I can't wait till it comes on. I'm really, I mean, the, the, you know, it's funny. The first, Wise Guy was one of the first TV shows that used arcs, these <laughs> story arcs yeah, where you had like eight, nine, ten episodes that would tell a story. Right. Uh, and the first one was about a mob boss uh, and that was played by Ray Sharkey mm-hmm. and uh, who wound up dying of AIDS like years, uh, about ten years later ray sharkey was a talented actor he was in uh uh a lot of good movies a terrific actor uh and then uh kevin spacey got his start on wise guy his breakout role was he played a an arm and arms dealer and drug dealer called mel prophet uh they just finished that arc right now (laughs) on wise guy and wise guy i mean jerry lewis comes up as, as a character uh 
Glenn Fry plays uh, a what? record producer what? in it. So I'm really looking forward to watching Wise Guy. And Ken Wall, the, the, the main guy, Vinny Terranova, mm-hmm. never really did anything else. But, but that shows. Cool, huh? Wise Guy. But he was good at it. Yeah. That's awesome. Wise Guy on Heroes and Icons. That's what I'm really into. That's cool, man. That's awesome. Well, hey, Tom. <laughs> hey, I really appreciate you coming on. Um, you've been a great guest. I'm just going to tell you, I laughed a lot during this episode because, uh, well, one, you're you're a pro, so you're good at what you do. <laughs> Thanks. And I, Thanks. I really I enjoy lis- uh, listening to your guys' podcast. I'm glad I discovered it, and I recommend it to everybody I can. I appreciate it, man. And you're you're the same. Um, yours, Cigars and Curveballs, um, is great. And it, it, like you said, if if you like conversations with uh, sports personalities with uh, I saw you had uh, Tim Ryan on you had uh, sports writers on or just just general celebrities man uh, cigars and curveballs with Tom is the way to go uh, any how can people connect with you on social media okay well I'm on Twitter at Tom Lavero all one word T-H-O-M Lavero L-O-V-E-R-R-O you can follow me on Facebook as well and I'm on Instagram as well. Like I told you, I know just enough to be dangerous when it comes to social media. Social media is so weird. I, it, Twitter, for one, is really weird. Uh, you put it out there. I mean, our president right now uses Twitter. I heard someone relate what Trump does on Twitter as a, and it's like a uh, Harvard professor says, I think he's using it as like a scratch pad. Like, like, you, like you or I might write notes on something and be like, okay, here's some. He just, that's what he uses Twitter for is like, he just puts out I, I just here's this thought we're having, and here we go, which I kind of find it's kind of interesting. Like it's kind of interesting to think of it that way. I wouldn't. I'm scared of putting anything on online because I, you know, I'll say something Listen, crazy. T- Twitter, Twitter is the crack cocaine of communication, <laughs> and you should you should sell it, but not use it. Yes. So, so I tend to try to sell it. Yeah. I don't tend to try to use it. <laughs> you know, you don't use your product. That's what, no, that's, what that's they the always key. Hey, any, uh, drug any drug dealer would, t- would tell you yes. in any we've ever had on this podcast, we've interviewed. <laughs> they always say that best advice we've ever got. No, I don't know what I'm, I'm, I'm going down a rabbit hole now. Anyway, Tom, thanks so much for, for your time, man. You're always welcome back. If you want to come back, uh, you think of another movie, we'll do whatever we'll, we'll do whatever you want. You can, any movie you want to do, man. So, All right, guys. I'll do that. Thanks a lot for having me. Thanks, Tom. I appreciate it. And uh, we'll see you. Okay. See you, buddy. Thanks.